You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I know a lot of you listen to the podcast first thing in the morning on Tuesday, and I'm really sorry to do this to you at the start of your day, but... Now, you know she's very much against the Second Amendment. She wants to destroy your Second Amendment. Guns, 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 right? I think what we should do is she goes around with armed bodyguards like you have never seen before. I think that her bodyguards should drop all weapons. They should disarm, right? Right? I think they should disarm immediately. What do you think? Yes? Yes. Yeah. Take their guns away. She doesn't want guns. Take their, let's see what happens to her. This isn't the first time Donald Trump has suggested that Hillary Clinton's Secret Service detail disarm. This is the first time he floated this idea, let's see what happens to her, dot, dot, dot. Essentially, what he's doing there is inciting violence against Hillary Clinton, and not for the first time. And I'm not the first person to point that out. And so I'm going to leave that argument aside. Other people are out there making that argument. Donald Trump is a dangerous maniac who is inciting violence against the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton. There's another argument that I want to make, which is – the logical extension and conclusion of this argument that many Republicans make and have made and made against Barack Obama. Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama are for gun control, which means they want to repeal the Second Amendment, which they don't, which means they want to take, disarm Americans, which they don't, and take everyone's guns away, which they don't. I wish they did. I'm one of those Americans who would like to see the Second Amendment repealed and everybody's guns grabbed. But Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton are not those Americans. They don't agree with me on this. They are for reasonable, sane gun control, not disarming Americans. Because their argument goes like this. Obama and Hillary, they're hypocrites because they want to take your guns away, the guns you use to protect your family. But Obama and Hillary, they're protected by people with what? By people with guns, Secret Service agents that have guns. And if Hillary doesn't believe that you should have guns to protect yourself and your family, then why does she get guns and armed guards and a secret service detail with her everywhere she goes? What a fucking hypocrite. That's the Republican argument. That's the argument that Donald Trump is making that others have also made and made about Barack Obama. Now, never mind. Let's set aside for a moment the fact that keeping guns in your home makes your family less safe not more safe. And again, set aside the fact that they don't want to take your fucking guns away. I wish they goddamn did. All Obama and Hillary want to do is make guns a little bit harder to get, just a tiny little bit, so that bad guys and deranged guys have a slightly harder time getting their bad, deranged hands on guns. But for the sake of argument, let's pretend that Donald Trump and basically everyone who ran for the Republican nomination, because they all made this argument, let's pretend that they're right. Hillary and Obama have said that guns make us less safe while guys with guns keep them safe and that makes them hypocrites. And you know who else is a hypocrite then? Donald fucking Trump and every last asshole who ran for the GOP nomination. All of them fucking hypocrites. Because their argument is that guns make us safer. And the problem isn't that there are too many guns rattling around in this country, but too few. And we need good guys with guns to take out bad guys with guns. And if only everyone in that 
movie theater or that classroom or that classroom or that classroom or that classroom had a gun, then the good guys could have stopped the bad guy. That's how they believe that it should work for you. For everyday, average, ordinary Americans trying to go about their business, trying to drop their kids off at school, trying to go to a movie, trying to go to a restaurant, trying to go to a Planned Parenthood clinic. That's how it should work for you. Just add more guns and everyone will be more safe. So it seems to me that Donald Trump and every last Republican who has run or may run or one day might be president should announce that on day one, they're going to remove the metal detectors from the White House grounds and allow Americans to carry loaded guns into the White House. And right now, Donald Trump can not disarm his Secret Service detail, but stop requiring people who attend his rallies to pass through metal detectors and not show up at his rallies and carry into his rallies guns. Because if having more guns around is a great way to keep you and your family safe, then having more guns around should be a great way to keep the next Republican president and his family safe. If heavily armed randos wandering around your schools and your workplaces and your children's and your universities and your amusement parks make you safer, then heavily armed randos should be allowed to wander around the East Room on White House tours and attend state dinners with concealed weapons or open carry all over the White House grounds, you know, to keep the president safe because more guns keep people more safe. And if a bad guy with a gun should attempt to take advantage of our next Republican president's logically consistent, non-hypocritical policy on people carrying guns into the White House and everywhere else, then all the good guys with guns in the White House, not just the Secret Service detail, but the randos in the White House, they can all pull out their weapons and start blasting away until all the bad guys in the White House are dead. That's how Donald Trump and every other Republican thinks that it should work where you live and where you work and where your kids go to school. So why shouldn't it work that way where they work, where the next Republican president lives and works in the White House? But if that's not the way they think it should work at the White House, if Donald Trump doesn't support open carry and concealed carry in the White House, just everywhere else but where he happens to be, then he's the fucking hypocrite. And if he's not a hypocrite, Donald Trump will allow people to carry guns into his rallies. And Donald Trump, if he wins, God forbid, will allow people to carry guns into his White House. Don't take their guns away, Donald. Let them carry, open carry, in your White House. Let's see what happens to you then. Coming up on today's show, Mistress Matisse is here to talk about the Sex Worker Outreach Project's new program, reaching out to incarcerated sex workers, and tons of your questions, tons of your calls, all on today's show. Hi, Dan. I'm a 33-year-old lady, a homosexual one. It doesn't matter too much where I live or my relationship status. Uh, I chose an academic career path, which has required me to move several times and has put a ticking time bomb on my relationships. And so I've never gotten married. Nonetheless, I'm at the age where many of my friends are and have been for some time. Why I'm calling is one of my dear college friends is getting hitched in just a few short weeks, so I'm really excited about the wedding. However, she is getting married to a man of a more conservative political bent than myself, and so that side of the aisle will be pretty red. And frankly, her family is also pretty conservative. But actually, none of this in particular is a huge problem for me. Most of my extended family are Republicans. I can play nice. I've done it before. Here's the real kicker. Rick Santorum is in the wedding party. A number of wedding guests are LGBT, such as myself, 
and several members of the bridal party have had numerous relationships with women. So, what the hell? It just seems kind of weird not to acknowledge it. So, I've been trying to figure out a way to acknowledge it without either ruining my friend's wedding or being the victim of a hate crime. I had the idea of just going in, on, going in full-on drag and making every effort to befriend Mr. Santorum, but I think that could be inviting trouble. That's just sort of theater for theater's sake. So what do you think? What would you do? A better thought I've been having recently is to make a toast about how happy I am for their nuptials and then underscoring how happy I am that all of us can get married now. Perhaps a little cheesy, but sincere to the point hopefully will be taken as I intend it to be taken. Thoughts, queries, concerns? Would love to hear them. Better Rick Santorum at the wedding than Slick Santorum on the wedding night. Anybody out there who's not familiar with my history with Rick Santorum, you can Google me and Rick Santorum, or you can go to SpreadingSantorum.com, where you will find the alternative definition for Santorum that was uh, invented and selected and promoted by the readers of Savage Love 15 years ago. Uh, And that alternative definition, of course, is the frothy mix of lube and fecal matter that is sometimes the byproduct of anal sex. My readers redefined Santorum in reaction to Santorum describing gay and lesbian couples who wish to marry as the moral equivalents of child rapists and dog fuckers. It was an insanely offensive thing to say. And remember, those of you who are inclined now to feel sorry for Rick Santorum, he was the third most powerful member of the U.S. Senate at the time. It was a time when gay and lesbian couples, gay people, were being attacked. It was a time when people were floating. Rick Santorum was floating. An amendment to the U.S. Constitution banning same-sex marriage and same-sex marriage amendments were popping up on ballots in states all over the country, banning same-sex marriage, not bringing us same-sex marriage. We were in peril and we were a small and tiny and marginalized community fighting back with the tools we had at hand, which included mockery and derision. And yes, it's a horribly offensive thing to say about Rick Santorum, but it was said in response to the horribly offensive things Rick Santorum was saying in the U.S. Senate and the horribly offensive things he was proposing that the Senate and the government and the president do to gays and lesbians. The effort to redefine Rick Santorum's last name was not grounded in his opposition to same-sex marriage. At the time, everybody in the Senate, every Democrat in the Senate, including Hillary Clinton, opposed same-sex marriage. Barack Obama opposed same-sex marriage, and in the most offensive terms in 2008. And there were no corresponding efforts to redefine Clinton or Obama or Patty Murray or John Kerry's name or anyone else's. Rick Santorum's assholery rose to a level where it required a proportionate assholey response, and that is what he got. So you are going to a wedding, and Rick Santorum is in the wedding party, and what should you do? I don't think you should make every effort to offend him. I have taken care of that for you. Done and done. And I don't think that we should take the gains that we've made for granted. I don't think anyone who read the Republican Party's platform for this election or is following what Donald Trump is doing and paying attention to the promises Donald Trump is making to right-wing gay-hating shitbags should take the gains that we've made for granted. We cannot get complacent. We can, however, to torment our opponents, to drain them of energy, we can perform a sort of complacency. 
We can make them think we're taking it for granted. We can perform ease and entitlement and comfort even as we remain vigilant behind the scenes and behind their backs so that they will give the fuck up. If I were you and I was at that wedding and I could wear a full body disguise so that Rick Santorum didn't recognize me and deck me, I would walk up to him and say, I'm so glad that now everyone in this country is free to marry the person that they love, myself included. And engage with him and have a little convo with him. He's been on Rachel Maddow, Rick Santorum, and they have engaged and had little convos. He is capable of speaking to a queer person. Not this queer person. I don't think he'd be capable of speaking very calmly with me. But you can take it to him. Private citizen to private citizen. He got cashiered, booted out of the Senate. Largest losing margin for a sitting U.S. senator ever sent packing. Two efforts to get himself the GOP nomination. Both failed. He is over. He is done. And LGBT people, we helped finish him, not by redefining his last name, but by changing the way people in this country, conservatives included, feel about LGBT rights, same-sex couples, and marriage equality. He lost the argument along with his Senate seat, along with both of his efforts to win the GOP nomination. He is a loser. And you should torment him by being slightly empathetic. Don't go in there with your middle finger up. Go there with a little dollop of patronizing pity. And I would make that toast if I were you. Toast the happy couple and offer a toast to all the happy couples in this country who are now free to marry. And use that expression, free to marry. That is your upraised middle finger. Rick Santorum will know it's for him. Hi, Dan. My boyfriend and I have an open relationship, and he has been dating a trans woman who is HIV positive, but she is on all the right medications, and uh, her viral load, or I guess that's how you say it, viral load is zero or really low. Um, they haven't had penetrative sex, but they did have oral sex where her penis was in uh, my boyfriend's mouth, unprotected. And I'm just wondering what our, what his risk for exposure is. Um, I read that even when your viral load is really low or zero, that's just in the blood and then things can still be transmitted through uh, genital fluid. And now granted she's on hormones and stuff and he said there was no fluid in coming out of her penis when they were messing around and she didn't ejaculate. But I'm still kind of nervous. And I'm just wondering if you have any advice for uh, someone like me who's worried about maybe potential exposure and also how to go about being with other partners while I'm waiting for uh, to get tested. Um, I have a date coming up soon and I'm wondering how obligated am I to tell this person that I may have been exposed to HIV um, since my boyfriend and I have had sex since his encounter with her. And if me and other people just use condoms, you know, am I in the clear or are we in the clear? There's a little bit of contradictory information out there on the Internet that seems to be panicking you. You will find on websites, including government websites, that even someone with an undetectable viral load, with no detectable virus in their bloodstream, which is what the tests look at, might have the virus in their vaginal fluids and pre-cum, pre-ejaculate, and semen. And so... It's possible there could be a transmission of HIV through unprotected intercourse. 
However, there have been numerous studies showing that people who are compliant with their drug regimens, who have zero viral loads, undetectable viral loads, are effectively non-infectious. Major studies involving thousands of couples, heterosexual couples, uh, is the one I'm looking at right now, that have found that the person who is HIV positive, if they're compliant with the drug regimen, if they have undetectable viral loads, have not one, that one example in this major study of nearly 2,000 couples was there an example of the virus being transmitted. We also know, back from the battle days of the HIV AIDS epidemic, that the risks of transmission through oral sex alone are exceedingly low. So there's this double whammy here. Your boyfriend's partner who's trans is compliant and has an undetectable viral load and all they did was oral. So there are really two layers of quasi protection there from HIV. HIV is probably not what you need to worry about here. If you want to worry about something and I don't encourage you necessarily to panic, but if you want to worry oral gonorrhea, oral syphilis, HPV, herpes, these are the things that there's some actual risk for in unprotected oral sex with somebody who's positive and drug compliant and has an undetectable viral load. There's another layer of protection that your boyfriend could employ, which is PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, Truveda. He can, if he has an HIV positive partner and he's concerned about transmission, even though that person has a zero viral load and is effectively non-infectious, he can opt to get on PrEP for your comfort and safety, for his own comfort and safety as a third particularly if they stick just to oral, as a third layer of protection for all involved. And I would advise if and when your boyfriend and this other woman move on to penetrative sex, that they use condoms. Even if she is undetectable, even if he is on prep, they should use condoms because condoms will offer you some protection from other sexually transmitted infections, also known as the sexually transmitted infections that in this case you should be concerned about. Hi, Daniel. I'm 27. I love to fuck. And so far, it's only been with women. I guess my question is a bit of a logistics one. So for as long as I can remember, my penis when erect has always kind of pointed down. Um, I've always had a full range of motion of being able to like by hand point it towards the sky or towards the floor like 180 degrees which, as far as I can tell through, like, porn and stuff, is not typically the case with other men. So I have a partner, and I guess my question, uh, this has been a bit of a problem during sex because I haven't been able to pull out during my thrusts as far as I would like to because if I go too far, it kind of falls out of her and I have to reinsert by hand. Um, and because of that, I can't really have the range of motion I would like for if I'd like to hold her down with both of my hands or something like that. So I was wondering if you had any suggestions for either any devices that could keep it straight so I could do things like that, or if there are any positions that are more advantageous for what I have going on downstairs. I just don't want the weird orientation of my penis to be a problem when we fuck. Reverse cowgirl. You're welcome. Uh, I'm tempted to leave it there, but I will say a few more words. This is your dick. Like, this is New York. This is your dick, and this is how your dick works. And your dick is angled in a certain way that makes the kind of 
all the way out, all the way in, or nearly all the way out, then back all the way in thrusting that you would like to engage in, probably because you've seen a ton of it on pornography, not logistically easy or possible for you. So yeah, you will have to find some positions where the angle of her vagina, the way her body is positioned, like in reverse cowgirl, recreates the angle that missionary is for most people whose dicks go straight out or straight up. And when you want to enjoy the missionary position and you want to hold her down, you just aren't going to be able to pull out as far as you would like. We don't always get what we want. Hi, Dan. I'm a single 27-year-old female living on the East Coast. I've been hooking up with a slightly younger guy for about six months now. It's always been casual, and we both know that. We keep it fun, different, and occasionally a little spicy with some choking and hair pulling. He's great about keeping me happy, lots of oral sex, which he's fantastic at, and making sure his huge dick is not too much for me to handle. It usually isn't. But there's one thing that's strange about this whole relationship. I've never seen him come. Never. He doesn't finish while we're fucking. He doesn't take care of himself when I finish or after I finish. And he's always overly gracious about me not needing to try to blow him or give him a hand job. He gets hard fast and stays that way for the whole time. And when I encourage him to come or ask him what he wants, he's enthusiastic, but it never happens. And he never seems bothered about it or even slightly frustrated. While I did embrace this awesome situation for a bit and try to focus on me, I'm back to wishing he could come and enjoy it as much as I do. Is this common? And what is your advice? Is there a way I could try to be more open about it or something physical I could do to help him out? Or should I just stop complaining and enjoy the awesome ride that's all about me? I think you should stop complaining. I also think you should stop making assumptions. The assumption you're making is that he's not enjoying this as much as you are. Maybe he loves the sex and he's having a blast and he's having as much fun as you are, even if he doesn't come in the moment himself. And what's going on with him? Who knows? So long as you're communicating to him that you are open to working in whatever way he wants to work toward having an orgasm himself in your presence, so long as the door is always open and you're receptive in that way, receptive to uh, whatever he wants, whatever he needs, receptive to him advocating for himself in the moment, just you reemphasize that every once in a while. If in the moment he doesn't need or want to come, don't make it a problem. Maybe he's self-conscious about how long it takes him to come. Maybe he's one of those guys who kind of has a kink about not coming, who likes to preserve all his powerful male seed and not screw up his chakra or whatever fucking bullshit that is by blowing his load out into the world and draining his male essence. Maybe he's got some like woohoo nonsense going on that he is too and rightly embarrassed to share with you at this moment, at this stage of your relationship. You're open to doing for him. He isn't wishing to be done for right now. Don't be like one of those straight guys. And you haven't been like one of those straight guys, so credit to you. But don't become one of those straight guys who makes the girl coming in the moment all about his ego and assumes that there's something wrong with him or what he's doing or that she's not that turned on or he's failing as a sex partner because she couldn't really be enjoying herself if she's not coming like he's coming. Don't flip that on its head and make the same assumption about him in this situation. Relax. Tell him you're there. Tell him you'd love to see him come sometime. Love to help him. Otherwise, you are enjoying this ride. No more complaining. No more assumptions. We're going to take a quick break from your calls to have a conversation with Mistress Matisse, sex worker, sex workers, rights activist and advocate and writer and frequent longtime guest of the Savage Lovecast and guest expert in Savage Love, the column going back 
20 years. Oh, my God. How did we start doing this when we were like 11 years old? I don't know. <laughs> People ask me how long I've been doing the column, and I say 25 years, and then they ask me for my age when they interview me, and I say, 40? <laughs> Just to see if they notice. <laughs> when I was 15 years old, I started writing the sex advice column in my school newspaper, and now look at me. Child savant. Absolutely. I'm going with that, too. So you were telling me about a new program that's being run by SWAP, which stands for Sex Workers Outreach Project. Yes. And I loved it, and I wanted to get you on the show to talk about it and share it with listeners. I love it, too. I am super, super, super duper excited about it. Um this is a, a sort of a pilot program. Uh, SWAP is a nationwide organization that has chapters in different cities, but SWAP Behind Bars is a program that's targeted specifically to uh, women who have been incarcerated for prostitution-related crimes, and there's a lot of them. And now that it's happening, I'm sort of thinking to myself, why the hell didn't we do this 10 years ago? We should have been, but now it's rolling, and I'm super, super excited about it. So um, I can sort of tell you in, a, in an ascending scale what we do. One of the yeah, well, first tell, first tell us what SWAP is, Sex Workers Outreach Project. It's run by sex workers' rights advocates and activists, and it's a non – it's a pro-decriminalization organization. Yes. Would yeah, that be safe to say? It's a nonprofit say? organization, educational uh, stuff, outreach to other sex workers, support, uh, those kinds of things. So it's, we're not a lobbying organization because you're not allowed to be a lobbying organization, mm-hmm. but we do feel that decriminalization is the best way to go. Yes. And decriminalization for people out there who haven't been paying attention versus legalization of prostitution. Yes. Decriminalization, good. Legalization, bad. Legal- and why is that? Legalization preserves uh, prostitution as a crime and and makes often these tiny little loopholes in which it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not what we want. We want any consensual adult exchange of sex for money to be not a crime. If it wouldn't be a crime if you didn't pay money for it, it shouldn't be a crime if you do pay money for it. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about rape. We're not talking about child molestation. All those things are crimes even when mon- no money is involved. But if it would not be illegal, if no money changed hands, then putting money into the situation should not make it a crime. Okay. That's decriminalization. And that's better for sex workers because... Because uh, like I've worked in legal brothels in Nevada where they have legalized prostitution. You have to get uh, you have to go to the sheriff's office and register and, as a prostitute. You get like your fingerprints taken. Uh, you are on record forever as having been a prostitute. Uh, your movements are you have to stay in the brothel. You cannot leave the brothel. There is a strict regimen. The control they have those women. You can't just do a good do your job and go home. It sounds like everything people who want prostitution to remain illegal complain about being done to women. Right. And then right. in a legalized system right. or a heavily regulated system, which they might consent to, those yeah. problems persist or get worse. Yeah, they do. It's it's not empowering to the sex workers at all. All the power remains in the hands of the state and a, a few people who will be able to uh, you know, have legal brothels because the licenses are very expensive. They're way prohibitive. You can't just be an independent prostitute. And the place that a lot of people go when you talk about decriminalization is how does it protect people who've been, sorry, I'm going to use the word trafficked mm-hmm. or being coerced or forced into prostitution? How does decriminalization protect or help them if that's someone's chief concern? Because for one thing, and I mean, the main thing, if you are, if, if you're being harmed in any situation of sex work, the fact that you are a criminal only makes it worse. 
No one, no one is ever helped by being arrested and taken to jail. So someone who's being forced into prostitution who goes to the police can themselves be charged with prostitution. Absolutely. And it's used to control that person by the people who may be coercing them. Right, right. You're, you, you can't go to the cops. You have no recourse. They know that. Um, I, I was just learning the other day, 60% of women arrested for prostitution had gone to police to report a crime against them, and then they were arrested. That's really shitty. And that's what criminalization brings us. It does. These people that the folks who want to see prostitution remain illegal are so concerned about helping are harmed by the system that they want to see stay in place. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about Swap Behind Bars, because I think it's such a terrific idea. It is. uh, Yeah, it's amazing. I'm so excited about it. Uh, I got started with it when... uh, they were calling for people to be pen pals with uh, women who had been incarcerated for prostitution-related crimes. And I thought, well, of God, how, of course, how could I not? And then uh, we started doing a program where people could buy – because it's – what kind of mail and stuff you can receive in jail is very controlled. Uh, but through Amazon and I think through maybe Barnes & Noble, you can send individual prisoners books or you can donate books to the prison library. And let me tell you what, a lot of prison libraries are not much, especially women's prisons. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't have a law library. Uh, if there even is one at all, some don't have any. So these women have like uh, no – there's no connection to the outside world. Obviously, they don't have internet. So books to them are huge. And like you can send someone a $5 book and it's an enormous thing to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and letters and just contact with the outside world is really, really – a lot of people don't realize there are women who are incarcerated for years at a time because of a prostitution-related crime. Mm-hmm. It's still it, uh, uh, Second and third offense, simple prostitution, is a felony in many states. Um, there are women in, in federal prisons because they, uh, they have been accused of trafficking on a really flimsy basis because they're not criminal masterminds. They're like a girl who called another girl and said, hey, I've got a date. Come over and we'll do it together. Okay, that's trafficking. You just trafficked somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's a federal crime. And so you're going to go do you know, three to five years in prison for that. Now, even the prohibitionists, even people who want prostitution to remain illegal – argue that it, we shouldn't be punishing people who are prostituted. It's never something anybody chooses to do. It's something yeah. done to them. That we should go after the Johns. That we should adopt the Nordic model. It should be legal to sell sex and illegal to buy it. And as Mike Crawford rightly points out, that makes someone who's a sex worker, their body the scene of a crime. So they're yeah. still in the crosshairs of law enforcement. And so that doesn't work. But that's the model that people who say that they're uh, for prohibition and want to end prostitution want to adopt, where the sex worker did nothing wrong, the John did something wrong, don't punish her, punish him. So it seems to me that everyone on either side of this issue, prohibitionist or de- decriminalizationist, should be could get behind swap behind bars because however you feel about the legality or illegality of prostitution – Everyone who's in jail on a prostitution-related charge, everyone who is in jail for selling sex is the victim and should have your sympathy wherever you fall on this issue. Yes, they should. But oddly, they don't because there are a lot of very large, very well-funded rescue organizations who do absolutely nothing to support the women who are in prison while they're in prison or when they exit. And what do you think a woman is going to do who's – because they're overwhelmingly low-income people – uh, people of color, uh, trans people are disproportionately targeted. Now they have a prison record. What are they going to do when they get out of prison? What do you think is really going to happen? They don't person? have any support. Right. And so 
overwhelmingly, they're at a very high risk of being re-arrested because they have to eat. They have to have food and money in a place to So if these wealthy prohibitionist organizations were really concerned with helping people transition out of prostitution, they would have more programs to help people who want to transition out of prostitution, transition out of prostitution. We don't want to see anybody selling sex who doesn't want to be making a free choice to sell sex. It's the same argument around abortion and choice. It's bad for abortion rights if there are people out there because of economic circumstance or outside pressure have an abortion, kind of uh-huh. against the world. It's bad for yeah. prostitution, for the argument about sex work and legalizing it or decriminalizing it, forgive me, if there are people being coerced into it by economic circumstance. And we don't want that. You don't want that. No, I don't want that. Nobody wants that. And the prohibitionists don't want to do anything about it. No, they don't. All they want to do is perpetuate their own very well-funded organizations and you know, kind of inflate a media panic about all the sex that's happening, all the sex. Mm-hmm. And they like to talk about that sex a lot. They Would you really want do. prohibitionists becoming pen pals who swap behind bars with incarcerated women? That would not be my first choice. Um, Maybe they should just send books. Yeah, just send books. <laughs> just, I mean, there are women in, in prison who feel that prostitution was a bad choice for them. Mm. And, they, you know, I respect that. And they want to make a different choice when they get out. Uh, there are people in there who have had, you know, drug problems in the past or other issues. They want to have a different life. And, hey, I support them doing whatever they need. I just want them to have a better life waiting for them when they come out. And I want some people to, these prohibitionists, I want them to to walk their talk. To put up or shut up. Right. And one of the ways prohibitionists could put up is by reaching out to and offering a sympathetic ear, contact with the outside world, Uh and listening, not lecturing. Yeah. These women who are being punished for something that even prohibitionists say these women should not be punished for. I agree. There's a lot more they could do. They could do like we have. We are offering scholarships uh, to women who are in prison. If you have a like, if you want to get a GED, we'll send you. If we get the money, self study guides. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a GED or better, we have a scholarship program where you can get trained to be a paralegal mm-hmm. uh, while you're in jail, so that when you leave, you have a job that you can go options. and do. We have so many things we're trying to do for these women, uh, and it, we're doing. It. It's like the whores who are doing it. It's not the prohibitionists. It's the whores who are being supported by our clients who are awesome. I don't do so many of my clients <laughs> like I could not do what I do. So yeah. Which is a whole other conversation about clients and Johns that I, I, we should have another day yeah. because that's something that just exercises me because the letters I get, as I've said a million times on the podcast, the letters I get from people who are thinking about employing a sex worker aren't, where can I find the nearest traffic 13-year-old? <laughs> They're always, how do I avoid... Yeah. buying sex from someone who doesn't want to be selling it, who isn't making a free choice. How can I tell mm-hmm. if someone is doing this of their own free will or not? Yeah. And the Johns I hear from have ethical, moral concern for the women that they're buying sex from. That is overwhelmingly my experience and the experience of people I know. There are bad people in the world and I'm not saying there are not. And they're not, not going to send me letters saying I'm looking for a 13-year-old husband to help because <laughs> they know I'm going to take that right, right to the cops. That's, that doesn't go well. Uh, there are bad people who, who you know engage in sex without money being involved, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that just happens. But criminalizing uh, the, the people involved does not help. And uh, you know, mass incarceration is something that we're all becoming more and more aware of. It's a huge problem and women, uh, the number of women in jail has ballooned disproportionately to that of men and it's usually for low-level non-violent offenses like sex work yeah like sex so work. where can people find swap behind bars online and learn about helping uh well you can go to, uh, to twitter at, at swap behind bars um if you can't find it on twitter you can come to me mr at mistress matisse careful uh, <laughs> careful if you follow mistress matisse sometimes yes yeah, yeah, there are pictures of mistress matisse that Keep me fair, up nights. Fair warning, I do sometimes <laughs> get a little excited about my... This my... is your blanket Mistress Matisse Twitter account trigger warning. Yes, thank you.
So you can find all this information. You can find 10 ways to help incarcerated sex workers at swatbehindbars.org. Terry and I are sending books. Please join us in uh, helping out these women who've been incarcerated mm-hmm. for sex work. Wherever you fall on criminalization or prohibition, you can at least send a book to a woman who's behind bars and shouldn't be. That would be great. You have been a guest on the show a million times. Will you stick around and take a question with us? Of course I will. It's always great to have your perspective. Oh, I have so much to say. Hi, Dan. I'm calling with a question about how to be more proactive in bed. I was talking with my male sex partner tonight. I'm a female. And he was saying that he would like me to be a little bit more engaged in the sex and more proactive. But he wouldn't tell me what that meant. He said it would be a turnoff for him to describe things that I could be doing, to which I responded, well, how do I know what turns you on if you won't tell me? And I told him it's a bit of a turnoff to me not to have a little bit more information. And he said, I just want you to do whatever comes naturally to you. I touch you and do things to you because I want to. And I just act on my desires, so I'm expecting the same of you. Which fills me with a lot of anxiety because I have no idea what that means. I'm afraid that whatever I do, he's not going to like because he hasn't told me what it is that he enjoys. So I'm thinking the best thing I can do is just try stuff, but I don't really know where to begin. I know that next time we're in bed together, I'm going to be having a lot of anxiety about what if I do it wrong and I'm not going to be able to feel naturally like myself or naturally act on the impulses of my desires. So I really don't know where to begin in fixing this or if it's fixable. Part of me just wants to throw in the towel because I feel like if he's not going to communicate his desires, then there's no point. And his rebuttal to that was, I just want you to be natural and do what you enjoy. And if I have a severe problem with it, I'll let you know. So I guess part of me feels like maybe I'm just bad in bed and I don't know what it is I'm supposed to be doing. So do you have any advice about how to just kind of be natural and act on your desires and follow whatever sexual impulses you're having? I'm definitely going to be really anxious next time I'm in bed with him. Like, what if I do something that's so repulsive to him and then we find out that we're just not compatible. I don't know if I should watch some porn to get some ideas of what people do. I'm afraid that I don't, I'm not going to be able to find anything within myself that I want to do, especially when I'm anxious that it might not go well. So I guess my question is like, how do you just find your natural sexual style and impulses in the bedroom and just do it naturally and have fun without being anxious. So I knew a guy once who liked guys to use Ben Gay as lube. 
Wow. So you could surprise him with that. If he just wants you to pull something out of the air. <laughs> as lube for what? Like, I think yeah, she should just put something up his ass. And if he doesn't like that, and you could say, well, you didn't tell me not to. Surprise, you- I'm fisting you. You said just <laughs> pull something out. So I shoved something in. I I have dealt with people like that. I dealt with people who, who came to me professionally and said, just do anything you want. And I said, really? <laughs> you said, do you follow me on Twitter? <laughs> I have shown them pictures and they kind of changed their tune. Like, okay, so let's start dialing this down from just do anything to, oh, all right. Mm-hmm. It sounds like maybe he wants, like, you know, try, I mean, get on top. I don't. Uh, so at first, I was thinking, okay, that's a problem. When someone says, you're boring me, do something, and there's something that maybe I want you to do, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to guess and yeah. try to hit the bullseye in a completely dark room where you don't know where the dartboard is. That's just setting you up for failure. It is. And and recrimination and guilting and, and the person saying you traumatize them or whatever. Yeah. And that your response should always be, tell me what you're thinking of broadly, generally, and specifically, or I can't just guess. However, the more she went on, yeah. and she did go on. <laughs> she did. I just got the impression that she might be one of those people, and they're not always women. We're not going to gender this, but one of those people who think they just have to show up and lay down and they're done, that they've done their bit. Yeah. And maybe he's bored doing all the work Yeah. of the sex. Yeah. That could, I mean, yeah, she did not sound like a super innovative and exciting partner. I will say that. Um, she, and we could, we could say to her, like, when you see a naked man and you want something to happen and you want to do something, what do you want to do? What do you want to have happen? And if your response is, I just want to lay there and have things happen to me, there are guys out there who that's good enough for. Yeah, yeah. And he ain't one of them. Uh, apparently not. Uh, yeah, I, I, she seemed to be struggling with, like, she wants someone else to tell her what she naturally wants to do. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the opposite that's of how that works. Sides. That's why I want to ask her, like, when you see a naked dude, what do you want to do to him? Uh, on your Twitter feed, we see some of the things that you want to do to those naked dudes. Caller, you probably want to do different things, but what are you motivated? What comes from inside you? I'm just sitting here enjoying that you're looking at my pictures. Uh, <laughs> looking at them, I'm traumatized by them. Oh, really? In the best possible way. In a way my, that all men should be traumatized. I put that on my resume. I traumatized man savage. Uh, I mean, I guess she could she could read some erotica, right? So that might inspire her. I would not suggest watching porn because porn now is just so removed from reality but kabuki sex yeah there's uh there's there's women written erotica i'm saying that with little quotes around it because i'm that way but uh she could maybe look at that for some inspiration uh but yeah like whatever you've been doing do the opposite of that maybe tie him to the bed and climb on top of him and ride him or something or blindfold him so he doesn't know where you're going what you're doing and then cover his cock with stinging nettles bad as me you know you talk about that that really hurt i was thinking you know put whipped cream in them because you know how vanilla straight people love to do the food thing oh my god i hate the food i we both hate the food thing but to them that's like this is america there's chocolate on everything everywhere like sex is the last thing we haven't covered with chocolate and sprinkles leave it alone (laughs) hey he said do anything right i mean (laughs) and the whip we have to specifically every time the whipped cream thing comes up i just want to slam it down because you put whipped cream on someone and 30 seconds later, they smell like a baby barfed on them. And there's nothing sexy about that. It is the opposite of sexy. Fuck and then have dessert. Don't dessert fuck. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't dessert fuck. I'm going to write that down and that's going to be a new thing that I'm going to tell you. Uh, I mean, I, so I agree. But to them, I, I don't know. It might be a big deal. 
Uh, yeah, read some erotica. I, I, yeah, but I hate it when people do that. Like, guess what I want? I want something different, but guess what it is? That's really not fair. And maybe he doesn't know what he wants either. So maybe the prescription that you gave, read some erotica, is for both of you. Yeah. Read some erotica, watch some decent porn, go to Tristan Tarmino, go to Violet Blue, go to the Feminist Porn Awards online, see what they've given the gong to so you can see some things that are outside the mainstream of commercial porn Mm -hmm. that may be a little bit less kabuki sex and more more sex sex. Yes. And watch it together. Maybe you're both needing to break through and break out and maybe he's not being unfair he's just as clueless as you are that that is that is the kindest possible interpretation <laughs> that's I, what we specialize in around here the kindest yeah. possible interpretations mr stinging nettles yeah right <laughs> i just saw a picture of that once and was like oh that look why are they putting weeds all over their genitals oh. and then i gardened somewhere where there were stinging nettles and i was like oh my god God, I have done that to people, and yeah, it's quite, it's quite painful. It's really delightful <laughs> for you, but you're wearing gloves. <laughs> yes, I was. Yes, I was. But, oh, it was fun. Hi, Dan. I'm a cis bi lady in my mid twenties. I recently got back in touch with an ex from high school, and we've been talking a lot and planning on meeting up and. He just revealed that he's into some things that you would probably define as varsity-level kinks. While this isn't something that I've thought about doing in the past necessarily, it's not something I'm opposed to, but it does seem like it's a physically riskier sort of situation. So my question is, um, how do you vet that someone knows what they're doing and how to do it safely? Like, I know there's not any kind of like bondage certification course or something that you're supposed to be taking, but like how can you suss out that it's being undertaken in a way that's not going to cause harm? There is no bondage certification program, is there? There ought to be. <laughs> I think there are a few, but I wouldn't exactly call them accredited universities or anything. <laughs> the ITT shut down and it could reopen <laughs> as sort of a bondage accreditation thing and with Pell Grants and student loans. Um, there is, however, the vouching for that goes on in the kink community. If you go to public play parties, um, FetLife or Recon, for example, the, somebody will be able to list their friends mm-hmm. and you'll be able to ask the people who say that they're this person's friend if they're good at it. That's the vouching for that goes on yes. in those online communities, which is not fail safe. It is not, but you it is something. Use your bullshit detectors and people lie and people can be mistaken about other people's skill levels. Yes. And safety. Yes. The, I think the, the answer here is always baby steps. It is. I mean, just because he's in diversity level kink doesn't mean that he gets to do that with her on the first date. Exactly. Right. Uh, so she's never thought about it. She's never. He's going to have to dial way back and go with her comfort level. And I, I would just, you know, she, he can talk to her about what he's into, but he should not be planning on doing it with her uh, right off the bat. Make him show you he's good at intramural kink. Make him show you he's good at junior varsity <laughs> kink. And then you can move on to these varsity level kinks once you feel safe with him. I agree. But if you like roll out a couple baby step intramural kinks and, and agree to that and he can't do that well, mm-hmm. he can't do suspension bondage. He can't do... Right. Other things that are crazy varsity level. Yeah, he should not be doing them. If he if he doesn't if he acts angry or like offended that you're setting some limits around that, that's a huge red flag and just step way back from that. I have a friend who just played with some guy, he's kinky, likes to be tied up, and the guy was all talk about all his gear, all of his equipment, all of his skills. They met in a hotel and the guy used duct tape for bondage 
without putting anything under it, oh, without yeah. putting saran wrap oh. under it. So duct tape directly to the skin, directly to the hair. The whole time oh. the hair on his legs and wrists and ankles were being ripped out. Oh, so no. this person proved that he should – well, my friend now regrets not saying, all right, done, tapping out, you don't know what you're doing. But because he just agreed to this JV intramural – Light bondage, this guy demonstrated doing light bondage that he couldn't be trusted doing heavy bondage. Yes. Because you don't know what you're doing doing light bondage. You absolutely positively are not going to know what you're doing doing heavy bondage. Uh, definitely. I mean, and bondage is only one of the things. I mean, when you say varsity at the level kink, that encompasses a lot of things that, could, if done wrong, could be hugely detrimental. Like, if he's into, like, choking people out, no, that's ah. not okay. And that's considered, you know, I think uh, some people think that's normal and it's really not. It's That's that's varsity level stuff that even I don't do. It's highly dangerous yeah. and does not have the Savage Lovecast stamp of approval. It does not have mine either. Uh, so, so yeah, there's bondage alone is it could be an issue and there's a lot of things beyond bondage that could cause permanent harm to someone and that's the goal is to not cause, cause permanent, permanent harm. harm. Yes. <laughs> Always not cause permanent harm. That's the goal with bondage. That's the goal with voting this November. <laughs> <laughs> Which means voting for Hillary Clinton, not voting for Donald Trump, Jill Stein, or Gary Johnson. Just have to work yeah. that in wherever I can. Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for dropping by. It's always a blast talking it's with you. Great to be here. Thank you. And good luck once more. Swap behind bars, swapbehindbars.org, and on Twitter at swapbehindbars. Go out there and yes. be helpful. Books, pen pals, everything. Thank you. Hi, Dan. I have a small question for you about snooping. I know you've talked about it before, but it's rather different somehow. So my husband recently gave himself permission to snoop into my emails, uh, gave himself permission because I w I'm always acting strange, quote unquote, or weird. And this is not the first time whenever I act weird or strange, he would look into my, he would somehow find a way into my emails and find some pretty incriminating stuff. So this time, so we're an open relationship. We've been married for a year. We have a kid. So that's also a little uh, kink to the story. We opened the relationship and it was founded on two conditions. One, that we're honest and two, that we're safe. So in these emails, he found that number one, I was talking about being unsafe, which uh, is just talk as far as I'm concerned. And it's part of the fantasies, part of the role play. It's part of the fun. Um, none of those actually happened and he shouldn't worry about that. So once I got this covered, once I had to, tell him again that this is just talk another issue which was honesty so i hooked up with someone a week ago i told him last night i told him it was last night that we hooked up but he he knew this whole time that it was a week ago so he was quizzing me this week god knows how long has he known has access to this email but he's been you know cross-checking things throughout the week and now i feel violated because these issues, although are not that big of a deal, they're under control. Does this give him reason to snoop? So he seems to feel like, oh, well, you know, you're snooping. Uh, you're acting weird. I'm going to snoop. Oh, look what I found. I found this and this. And okay, well, these are really not a big deal as far as I'm concerned, because number one, I fudge the dates. It's it's just I have a hard time coming to terms to telling him. It used to take a month. Now it takes a week. I'm making progress. Um, the other thing was just talk. So what is the reason for the snooping? Now that this is settled and we had a fight about it, I can't help but feel violated yet again. 
this is not the first time he goes through my emails and this is not the first time to defend myself, but I'm tired of defending myself. I'm tired of feeling violated. I'm tired of feeling, and this is some really personal stuff that was mentioned on these emails that he had no right to read. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. I don't, I don't want to DTMFA. I, I definitely don't think it's a viable option, but I do think he should back the fuck off already too. Like I'm, everything's under control. Um, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say anymore. We've listened to your show. He seems to say, Oh, trust, but verify. And now I verified. And I found what I found. But I'm like, you found is nothing. Slow clap. So I don't know what to do. Help. Just a little recap of what's happened since. It pretty much resolved itself again very quickly. But, you know, it was just, you know, I pretty much used my words. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, I was just basically said, told him, you know, from the beginning of our relationship, you never really respected my privacy, period. Before it started with just, you know, checking the history. Um, and then it was emails. And there's always something to find if you look deep enough. And you, you, um, and, that, and you have a right to a zone of some privacy and some autonomy and something that you keep to yourself. As we pretty much. And so lately I kind of got a little more comfortable with myself. So I started to, to you know, to, to, to talk, to express myself a little more verbally online, to put it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, what more I'm into discovering more things now that we're more open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to discover that again, after but thinking that it was over was just a little like, oh my God, we're back here again. And that's why I was having kind of uh, a breakdown. Why I wanted to get you on the phone and what I wanted to ask you about and yeah. sort of drill down on is I was curious yeah. if there are things you're struggling with shame about, that there are things that you're interested in, that you're worried that if your partner sees them, he's going to judge you unfairly or think less of you. And so it feels consequential and risky for for him to know these things or to see these things? It's, it's just a question of privacy. That's all. Like, you know, at first it was like, it was just intrigue of what I'm into, but then he would find, you know, sites that it was history that was mainly Craigslist ads. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was just, I was just looking, just for sake of looking to see what's out there, but no, there was no intention of meeting anyone. And even then, like I would fake and flake it just at most and you were talking about you were talking about doing things that weren't safe and he of course would bump on that as they say in hollywood he would and, and he has a right to be a little concerned about that and sometimes i will retroactively right. approve a snoopathon if you know because sometimes people find out things they needed to know when they snoop right. and that they had a right to know that they were in some sort of physical danger and so i don't want to you know give this my blessing and and your answer is is reasonable and there are people out there who fantasize about doing things that they would never do because they're unsafe but they sometimes enjoy right. swapping emails with people or pictures of people talking about that thing that they will never do because it's unsafe because it's a turn on to contemplate it in kind of an action oriented way and that may be yeah. what you're doing that said yeah. I, I think you need to get more comfortable with your own desires and I think it's a problem that there are things that you're into that not that you don't want to discuss with him or that you'd like to keep separate, but that you're embarrassed or humiliated or angered for him to know because that just creates, you know, ticking time bombs and landmines everywhere. You know, it would be better 
for peace in the valley and for you two of you really are going to spend your whole lives together for mm-hmm. you to be able to say here's the thing that i'm into and turned on by that you're not and we just won't talk about it or go there but it's not a problem that you know that and if you occasionally run over evidence of it over the course of our lives together and you will if we're going to live right. together <laughs> you can't blow up he, and i'm not going to know you can't blow it's up and i'm not going to be okay well then you yeah. need to get more comfortable with your desires it shouldn't matter to you if he finds fresh evidence of what he knows to be true right. and is actively right, right, turning right, right. a considerate blind eye to. Right. So be more comfortable with your desires, including your unsafe, crazy desires. You know, sometimes it's easier right. to share those unsafe, crazy, off-the-wall things that you never with really want to do with a stranger. online, exactly, exactly. Because they're not going to judge you, or you already know that yeah. they share that desire, whereas a partner, yeah. you're concerned about their opinion of you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if they don't share that desire, you may you may project onto them shaming that they're not actually doing they're not engaging in right so you get more comfortable with your desires he needs to snoop less <laughs> but i don't right. know i don't know i don't know anybody who's in like a you know 10 20 30 year relationship truly long haul where there isn't the occasional accidental or maybe in that gray area of intentional taking a peek uh, like snooping? I don't know, Dan. I've never once even flirted with the idea. That's that's kind of what I was okay, at. Well, I was like, well, maybe, I don't do this to you. Why don't you do this to me? Maybe I'm projecting my shit onto you right now because <laughs> I have snooped. Uh, I am guilty and I want to think everybody's done it to make myself feel better about it. But it does happen. Good. Okay. Well, I I appreciate the honesty. Good luck, man. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at-risk youth. My boyfriend and I of two years now, we are in a really weird situation right now. So I have a kink, I guess you could call it, where I only get off when I know that he's about to come inside of me. I was told a long time ago medically that I was not able to get pregnant, and if I did, it would be really, really rare. And so he had been pulling out of me and not coming inside of me, but the thought of him about to come inside of me was really exciting without a condom. And long story short, I got pregnant and we had an abortion. And now we've been using condoms, but I can't get off. And I know this sounds weird because usually the men can't get off without condoms, but I can't get off without a condom. (laughs) And... We set up an appointment to get birth control. It's been a couple months since the um, abortion. And unfortunately, with Planned Parenthood, at least in the city I'm in, it's like a month in advance where you have to get birth control. So we're waiting to get the birth control appointment. And I'm terrified. I'm even terrified if we have birth control that it could happen again because that was a really bad experience for me to have an abortion. And it's not what I wanted, and I wanted the abortion, but it's not something I ideally wanted to do in my lifetime. But it's really, it really sucks, because I can't have what I want in bed, which is for him to come in me, or at least him not wear a condom. And I'm afraid when we get birth control that I'm still not going to want him to not wear a condom, and I'm still not going to get off. So I've been masturbating in my own time to the kink that I like, but I don't want my relationship to be that. And I'm just, I I don't know what to do. I, 
that's my only kink. It's like it's really what gets me going and really what gets me off. But I'm afraid I'm going to get pregnant again. And no matter how much protection we use, I'm a very paranoid person. I'm afraid that it will happen again. And it just feels like it's this catch-22 situation where I have a kink where I like to be come inside of, but I don't want to get pregnant. And I'm terrified of getting pregnant. So any advice would be absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Dan. You have a kink for him coming inside you, but you're worried about getting pregnant. There are other places he could come inside you. He can come in your mouth. He can come in your butt. You have come inside you options for what's going to be a very short time here, four weeks until you have your appointment at Planned Parenthood to get hopefully a long-term effective method of birth control. I would recommend for perhaps someone in your situation, if you don't want to use, say, hormonal birth control, if you don't want to be on the pill, uh, although those are very effective, the pill, very effective method of birth control, you could get a copper IUD, also a very effective method of birth control. Your chances of getting pregnant with him coming inside you using the pill, hormonal birth control, using hormonal uh, IUD, Norplant, a copper IUD are really, really, really slim. And you'll probably not find yourself in this situation again. Given the double whammy of whatever it is your medical condition is, it makes it very difficult, but not impossible for you to get pregnant. Plus, a long-term effective method of birth control for his spermies to have to clear both of those hurdles in the future to ever knock you up again. Chance seems remote. So I think that you should masturbate for the next few weeks, get the form of birth control in consultation with your doc at Planned Parenthood that works for you and then relax and accept that there's going to be perhaps some infinitesimal risk of pregnancy. There is no such thing as sex that doesn't involve some risk of some outcome that is unwelcome. There is no dinner that does not involve some risk of some outcome that is unpleasant. There is no car ride that does not involve some risk of some outcome that could be unpleasant. Don't apply a different standard to sexual activity that you apply to everything else that you do all day long, including getting it out of the tub, getting it out of your car, putting a chicken sandwich in your mouth. There's pleasure here for you, him coming inside you. Just goes to show that for a lot of people, that sex is more than physical sensation. Sex is often a kind of cranial sensation. Sometimes there's things going on that are symbolic or taboo or transgressive or circumstantial that is as much involved in that person's arousal level and ability to climax as just the bedrock in and out physical sensations of whatever they might be. And you're at a distinct advantage. A lot of people are able to access the physical sensations, know what they are, but can't quite get there because they haven't figured out what their cranial sensations are. And they're still struggling to figure out how to put those two things together, the physical and cranial, although of course brains are physical things too, but you all know what I mean, to get to that place of intense, crazy orgasms. And you're there and that's great. And you're asking me to perform some magic to confer on you invulnerability to pregnancy under your circumstances. And I can't unless your boyfriend of two years gets a disectomy, which he won't do and shouldn't do at two years in a relationship like this, or unless you got yourself sterilized, you got your tubes tied, which you could do if you are certain that you never want to have children, but it should be good enough. Your medical condition that makes pregnancy unlikely combined with an effective long lasting 
birth control method that you're going to get at Planned Parenthood in just a couple of weeks, that should be enough for you to incur this risk, to take on this risk of him potentially getting you pregnant because when you do the risk-benefit analysis, that teeny tiny infinitesimal risk of you getting pregnant is worth the benefit of those orgasms that you're going to have, the intense sexual connection and sexual satisfaction and feelings of sexual fulfillment that you're going to have by allowing this person to come inside of you, which is your kink, your turn on, what snaps your physical sensation pleasures together with your cranial sensation pleasures. Good for you. Enjoy it. But there will always be that risk. You just have to learn to walk with it. Hey, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a straight cisgender male. My girlfriend and I have a strong disagreement on the morality of a conflict early in our relationship. She runs a blog, and uh, when I started dating her, I was vaguely aware of the blog, but I never read it. But after we'd been together for a few weeks, um, I got a little curious, and I went on and had a look. And to my surprise, there were public blogs that listed some explicit details about our sex life. Uh, She did use a pseudonym and not my actual name. She used CSP, or Current Sexual Partner. But we do have a handful of a handful of mutual friends who read the blog and who would know it was me. I called and asked to have them taken down, and she kindly did oblige and has not posted some more things since. And we're doing fine now, but uh, we do still disagree if it was wrong to do. What do you think? Okay, so how big a problem in the relationship is this disagreement? When this comes up, the blog and the personal details that were revealed, is it a knockdown drag out fight is it a real point of contention or is it just uh, a mild friendly disagreement um it's it's mostly a mild friendly disagreement i mean it's it, it's more of like an argument about the morality beneath it not about how badly it's damaged either of us but i think we both kind of feel strongly in our own camps mm-hmm. so we kind of like so we, we, we lovingly argue about it, I would say. I think it might help if you left the word morality by the side of the road, broke its ankles, so it would die there on the hill. Um, because, okay. because that's going to get her dander up. That's going to make anyone feel boxed into a corner. Because what you're asking her to admit is to having committed a deeply immoral act. You did something immoral. That's a high bar for people to clear when you're asking them to be self-critical or to apologize to you. Please apologize to me for this immoral fucking thing that you did. You know, people. That's a really good point. Someone's going to react really defensively to that. So I would set immoral aside, and I would ask her to recognize that what she did was selfish and inconsiderate and self-sabotaging potentially. Because most guys in your shoes would have been so potentially embarrassed or humiliated by being outed about your private sexual activities and interests to mutual friends that you would have ended the relationship. You wouldn't have felt safe with her. Yeah. So to, to to ask her to recognize that what she did was literally inconsiderate. She didn't take into consideration how you might feel. So textbook definition of inconsiderate and kind mm-hmm. of selfish and self-sabotaging. If indeed she wanted a relationship with you going forward, it could be self-sabotaging. If she's just a sex blogger who has one-offs with people and then writes about it in a way where they're not outed, no pictures, no names – Okay, not self-sabotaging, still kind of inconsiderate because who knows how that person might feel if it gets back to them. But maybe you don't have to take that person's feelings into consideration if you don't want to see them ever again. And people have a right to their experiences and a right to process them. And a lot of, particularly you young people, process your experiences online almost exclusively for audiences today. Mm -hmm. So it's not unheard of. 
So I just think you need to shift the terminology you're using. If you're going right to, hey, recognize that that was immoral and Jesus puked and you know, if you don't go say confession and 40 Hail Marys and pray to the new saint, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, you're going to go to hell. If you just leave morality aside and say, wow, that was, that was dumb. That was inconsiderate. That was kind of selfish. And aren't you glad I'm still here? Because a lot of guys would have bolted. Maybe she could agree to that. I mean, we actually, we recently broke up. <laughs> oh my God. It's all moot then. Or are you still arguing about it? <laughs> Oh, we, uh, well, we're, we're still really good friends. Um, and we, and we definitely, uh, when, when, when we do talk, um, I think that we still are, are in our own camps about that. That's not why it, it ended. It was more a distance thing, but. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully if she's listening, if you tell her she's being discussed on the show this week, that she learned her lesson here. Like, I, I, I'm glad you stuck it out in this relationship long enough for it to end for some other reason, because I don't think that this misjudgment on her part, particularly considering that you're both, you know, log stupid millennials, I don't think this misjudgment <laughs> should have necessarily been a deal breaker, because I think it's a really common one these days. The oversharing problem is, mm -hmm. is real. Uh, but she needs to, I, I think, learn the lesson here going forward, that if she wants to continue to write about her sexual experiences, that she either needs to make more of an effort to disguise people because you are recognized by mutual friends, not only out of consideration for their feelings, but out of consideration for her own self-interest in that situation. Because if she fucks somebody she wants to fuck again or ever see again or potentially date or have anything long-term with, that could really squelch the deal. That could make it impossible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a black star for her, or a ding for her for being inconsiderate, of her, her own interests and your interests and a gold star for you for not pulling the plug and working through this issue, even if some other issue ultimately doomed the relationship. That's, that's interesting. I mean, do you think that like the culture is shifting for our generation where it might shift, where people would disagree with the advice you just gave me and I become like the prude who <laughs> was artistically blocking somebody or censoring somebody i'm sure there are lots of people out there who who feel that way some probably listening to the sound of my voice right now but i disagree with them okay but that said people have a right to their experience people have a right to talk about their experiences people have a right to process them and a lot of people process their experiences now you know online on facebook it's not fair to out, embarrass, humiliate other people while you're processing your feelings or sharing them. If she was performing them in a way, mining them for some other reason, well, that's something else to take into consideration when you're thinking about going forward and continuing to date this person. Am I just fodder? Am I just material? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. are, are my feelings going to be respected? And I say mm -hmm. this as someone who writes about sex who is with somebody who right after we met said, you can't write about your sex life anymore because <laughs> I don't want to be written about. And I was like, okay. And I stopped. Right. And to be fair to her, like she, when, when I brought it up to her, she did take them off. She said, I disagree with you, but she did take them off the blog, which no. I do have to give her credit for. Well, now that you guys have broken up, you might want to keep an eye on the blog and make sure they don't go back up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I trust her, but we'll, we'll see. Good luck. Nice talking to you. Good luck in your next relationship. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Hi, Dan. I am a 23-year-old cis female. Um, I am a lesbian, and I recently went through a breakup um, a couple weeks ago. I worked out in bars, and I met this bartender. Um, 
we totally hit it off. You know, the first night we hung out, we were hanging out on stage, ended up making out, um, got each other's numbers, and have been pretty much, you know, seeing each other and hooking up ever since. And it's been out of this world. I mean, you know, my previous relationship where there was zero sexual chemistry, so this has just been kind of a crazy ride. Um, rewind a little bit. So she is married. <laughs> and, you know, when we first discussed it, she said she's just legally married and she's just staying at the house for the kids. And, you know, their their marriage is, is essentially over. And so I just assumed, you know, she planned on getting a divorce and all this. And I really wanted to keep it strictly sexual because I'm not ready to jump into anything. Well, you know, throughout the past couple of days, she's been trying to see me every day and she'll hold my hand and call me babe and, you know, just do all of those kind of emotional things that you do when you're developing feelings for someone. So I asked her last night if she talked to her husband about seeing other people because I just, you know, want to make sure I'm not getting jumped in an alley or anything like that. And she never tells him that when we're together, you know, it's always a secret. So this was kind of odd for me. And, you know, I don't really ask about their relationship. I don't want to know. I don't think it's much of my business, especially if we're trying to keep this strictly sexual. But her answer was that eight months ago, she told him that she wanted to open up the marriage because she didn't feel that way for him anymore. And he responded with, well, I only want to be with you. So she said, okay, have fun. And that was kind of the end of the conversation with her. She didn't, you know, go into any more details. And afterwards, I just kind of felt weird about it. Um, I feel like as far as opening up the marriage, it's it's mostly a sexual thing. And it shouldn't get in the way of, of the marriage and your family. And I kind of feel like I'm guilty of having an emotional affair with this girl um my question to you dan is do you think i should completely cut this off am i doing something not okay here or should i just talk to her and and tell her how i feel and keep it strictly sexual cheating is wrong except when it's not so to be the person that someone is cheating with is Wrong, always wrong, except, you know, when it's not and it's a case-by-case specific judgment call, depends on what you're comfortable with. You know, sometimes, as I have said, and I'm lonely here in the advice industrial racket in saying this, but sometimes people cheat because they should, because they have cause, because they have grounds. Sometimes people are doing what they need to do to stay married and stay sane. Sometimes people are in circumstances or situations where cheating is the least worst option, not just for themselves, but also for the person that they are ostensibly cheating on. And as Esther Perel says, we demonstrate loyalty in other ways too, and that there are other forms of betrayal that are at least as bad or worse. There is neglect, abuse, violence, contempt can also be as scalding a betrayal as a a sexual infidelity. But we never talk about those in the same way that we talk about sexual infidelity. And then there are those cases where cheating ends a relationship that really needed to end, in which case the person that 
the cheater cheated with was kind of doing God's work. Sometimes the cheating is a catalyst and the person that the cheater cheated with is themselves a catalyst and helps to end something that, again, had to end. Helps people see that something that needed to end does indeed need to end. Gives people the courage sometimes to end something that needs to end. And not just the person cheating the courage to end something that needs to end. Sometimes the person cheated on. The only thing that gives them the courage to get out of a shitty relationship with a serial adulterer who's not very kind, who may be doing other forms of betrayal that are as bad or worse than the cheating, sometimes they don't actually pull the plug until the cheating comes along because then they feel that they have permission, they have license, they have support from society to end the relationship because, oh, here's the cheating. That's the unforgivable. Neglect, contempt, even abuse, that can be worked with, worked around, go see a counselor, but cheating, oh my God, you got to go. And sometimes people get to that point and they go and they needed to go all along. And again, that can pin a smiley face on a cheating circumstance or the person the cheater cheated with, pin a little metal on them that is semi-exonerating. This is a lot of spinning to get to, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what's going on in their marriage. But you are complicit in wrongdoing here. And there's no escaping that. You are complicit. She is cheating on her husband with your help. And then I want to ask all these follow-up questions. I want to dive into the gray areas. Should she be cheating on her husband? Does she have cause? Is he being neglectful? Is he sexually neglecting her? Is he cheating on her with somebody else? Is their romantic and sexual relationship dead and they're just roommates and partners and co-parents who are may both be doing what they need to do to stay married and stay sane for their kids. In which case, maybe it's okay what you're doing, but these are unknowables. I don't even know if you can know these things because you could ask her, you could press her and she may give you justifications, rationalizations. She may tell you what she thinks you need to hear to keep the pussy coming literally. And it may or may not be true or it may be true. I think people who are in your circumstance have to look inside and ask themselves what they are comfortable with and what degree of complicitness in an infidelity they are comfortable with. You are not the one committing it, but you are helping. You are sitting in the car outside the bank with the engine running while somebody else points a gun at a teller. Not as bad as a bank robber, but you helped. Hey, this is actually a call in response to episode 516. The woman called in um, her teenage son's friend and his girlfriend are really baby, have the baby fever. Um, I agree with Dan's advice. You can't really tell teenagers in love what to do, but uh, maybe you could help facilitate some uh, baby time with a newborn without much help, and uh, maybe they will have a change of heart after spending some time with a baby, especially a colicky baby. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. This is in response to the caller from episode 516 who had a libido mismatch with a guy and she was trying to figure out whether to dump him or stay with him. And, you know, this is going to sound funny, but I think you're too focused on sex, which has to be, you know, sort of ridiculous for a sex show. But in fact, you also talk about relationships. And I think when people call in saying, I have a wonderful relationship and the sex isn't good, how do I make the relationship work? The answer should not always be throughout the relationship, if there's no sex, it's no good. If there was no dancing in their relationship, if, they had, if one partner really loved to dance and the other one hated dancing and, and, and never wanted to do it, you wouldn't tell them to break up. You'd tell them to go dance with other people or to find a way to work around it or something like that. And I think that's true for sex, too. I have been in relationships where there has been a substantial libido mismatch and the relationship worked fine. 
and we found other things to do with each other, and we found other ways to fulfill our sexual needs, and it worked out fine. Hey, Dan. Oh, my God. I love you. I've listened to every podcast. First of all, your advice to that lady, that girl in the 10-month relationship with the low sex drive man uh, was spot on because I married that man and I spent nine years with him and it sucked, okay? It sucked. We hardly ever had sex and it was shitty. Don't, don't do it. No one marry that. Okay. To the young man who called who was dating me, 12 years older woman, uh, you are not alone. My boyfriend now of almost two years um, is 10 years younger than I am. And similar to you and your girlfriend, we started as a fling. We had no expectations. And um, we've just kind of been surprised at every turn to find ourselves still together. But um, we love each other. We're happy. It's going great. And the best advice I can give you is just enjoy the moment and don't worry about what's going to happen, but just wait and see and find out. And we're going to leave it there. But before we go, the Hump Film Fest's fall tour tickets are available now online. Go to humpfilmfest.com. Miami, Minneapolis, Vancouver, British Columbia, Sacramento, Denver, Brooklyn, Victoria, British Columbia, Cleveland, and Baltimore. Hump is coming to you. Go to humpfilmfest.com to get your tickets now and to see the Hump trailer. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, please give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Mistress Matisse on Twitter at your own risk at Mistress Matisse. And follow Swap Behind Bars. That's S-W-O-P, Sex Workers Outreach Project. Follow Swap Behind Bars on Twitter at Swap Behind Bars. Speaking of Twitter... Annalisa tweets, I'm going to need to find some podcasts for the 20-ish hours I'm going to be driving. Blarg. And Will Gibbons tweeted back, Revisionist History, Criminal, Savage Lovecast, How Stuff Works, The Collective Podcast, and The Minimalists, all my faves. Thank you, Will, for the recommendation of The Savage Lovecast. An honor to be on a list with so many greats. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of The Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. 